want you want a leaf act yes please any leaf act <laughs> i have a hard time taking naps mm-hmm. i just like can't fall asleep during the day very often yeah but i can sleep in the car like no one's business <laughs> uh, unfortunately that also applies to when i'm driving <laughs> yeah that's not great no it's terrible sleep driving is one of the least safe forms of driving i've found yeah so i'm always at my sleepiest when i like get home from work like after i'm like tired from doing something yes and i drive it's just like i could easily sleep just bam i'm out just like i kind of wanted to record earlier because man i am so sleepy right now yeah well we can get this knocked out so then you can I don't know, probably not go to sleep because it'll only be like eight o'clock or whatever. But I'll, I'll be pumped up by podcasting mm-hmm. by then and it, it'll be fine. I won't be sleepy anymore. But like right now, oof, I could I could nap. <laughs> well, what's new with you? Mm, not too much. I played the five not a 5K. It was a 2K mm-hmm. at the place in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I got 10th. Mm-hmm. So I missed up eight. I didn't expect to make it though, because I lost too early. Wait, was this a flesh and blood 2K or a magic 2K? It was 2K? magic, it was modern. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. You were playing Elemental Glimpse. Yeah. That deck was pretty good. Cool. Uh, my sideboard was, you know, obviously I didn't have the cards I wanted to put in it. Oh, no. Uh, but I, I just yes. like stuck a bunch of Leyland Voids and Teferis in my deck in my sideboard. So the Leyland Voids were not good. Yeah. But the Teferis were incredible. Uh, even if one of the games they would have been extremely good, they didn't win me the game. Like I played mm-hmm. against a burn opponent who was like pretty good, uh, but they would time their spells to do things at the last possible moment, which is usually pretty good. But if I'm glimpsing into Teferi and you don't see that coming, you yeah. just got time walked. <laughs> so I was... It didn't come up, and I ended up losing that match. Uh, but I was just like, if come I ever on, put Teferi, in, if I ever put Teferi in play, I know this person doesn't see it coming. They're just right. going to get destroyed by it. Because <laughs> normally, the only out I have for that matchup is like Omnath off yeah. a glimpse, which is you know going to win the game too. But <laughs> Teferi is a good stopgap if they're not playing around it. Sure, thought the deck was pretty fun, pretty good. The mm-hmm. People playing Fable, I would play Season Pyromancer instead of Fable of Mirror Breaker, uh, which I am convinced is just correct. I had to make some mana base considerations. Yeah, Season Pyromancer is just a better card straight up, and it has this insane synergy with Risen Reef. Yeah. Which I didn't even consider when I was initially making the cut, the, the change, but I'm like, looked at the cards next to each other, I'm like, oh yeah, that that's a thing that happens. Sure. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, I love Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I am playing that card every chance that I get, including, like, I believe it's the best card in this iteration of the Arena Cube, so I will take it over anything. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, This Arena Cube is all about doing the largest thing that you possibly can, so Fable of the Mirror Breaker is one of the better three-mana cards for enabling that to happen. Is it a live the dream type of deal? It's so... I guess we're just talking about the arena cube now, but that's fine. It's the chromatic cube. Oh, okay, okay. But I I, I mean it's mostly the do big stuff cube. So I don't yeah. know exactly what like chromatic means there. A chromatic mostly means that there are no aggro decks. So 
uh, <laughs> you course, have to do like big radicals. stuff. It, it's a weird like dichotomy because like there are no aggro decks, but there are some two drops that are like completely batshit insane. Like both of the recent good two mana werewolves are in there. And so if you don't have a two and your opponent like casts suspicious stowaway on the play, then you're just dead. Or if they cast Rahilda on the play and you play a tap land on turn two, then you're just dead. So it's a, a really weird thing where you like the good twos are at a premium the bad twos are really atrocious and it's hard to justify having like two mana removal spells in your deck because they're so bad except for exactly when your opponent plays like suspicious stowaway or rahilda or jacob hawken but if they don't do one of those things investigator uh which i have had the pleasure of putting to really good use i love that card yeah it's th this cube is the best place for it so so I don't really know like exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I have generally just gone like, okay, I'm not going to play any removal at all. I'm just going to super, super prioritize two mana spells that actually work, which are like those types of cards or the green ramp spells. And, you know, those will be my two mana plays. And I'm just like not... If my opponent gets me on the play with a suspicious story or whatever, then fine. But drawing, you know whatever like two in a braid on turn eight or whatever is just not like gonna be good when my opponent is doing like cavalier of thorns field of the dead stuff so there's a dog behind you yeah that's shadow i know Baby. she follows me from room to room generally kind of like a kind of like a ring cloud mm -hmm. when i go work out she comes to the gym and lays down on the floor with her legs blade all the way out just, just, just looking after you yep but anyways you're trying to do a really big thing. Doing powerful mid-rangey things like isn't really good enough. Like I had a green deck that I drafted recently that had like all of the good green planeswalkers, but I don't think I would have won a single game except for the fact that I put Zakama into my deck and then I won seven seven games because I drew Zakama in those games and like ramped up to Zakama, cast Zakama, and killed my opponent with it. I would have decked myself in all of those games without Zakama as a way to kill my opponents. The classic cube destroyer Zakama. <laughs> well, this is not a classic cube. It is your your life total is not under pressure. You are under pressure to be doing powerful stuff relatively quickly. And so that's why like cards that I'm like happy to first pick are stuff like those two drops that are premium and like put your opponent in a terrible bind. Those are probably the best cards to start out with. Uh, but I think Fable of the Mirror Breaker may be the, just the best thing to cast in the cube because it gets you there and has so many synergies with stuff. There's a lot of graveyard stuff going on. There's a lot of reanimation stuff. Uh, there is also Torrential Gear Hulk, so you can live that dream, which I have lived, and it's been fun. Like Big Score is a card that I'm happy to pick up very early because it enables reanimation stuff or casting your reanimation targets or like a number of other things. I don't know. I've enjoyed it, but the lack of aggro decks is very apparent and pushes you towards a, a very specific subset of strategies. So just be aware of that going in and understand like you need to be doing a big thing and you need to be doing a big thing that's not just like, ooh, look how many cards I'm getting. It needs to be like, oh, look at how dead my opponent is now after I've done this. Just the biggest thing possible kind of deal. Yes. And Zakama 
seemed to be that thing in most games that I casted, so... She does cost nine mana. <laughs> nine mana, yes. And then refunds, like, a lot of it. It should untap nine lands, right? Yeah, but I often was casting it without nine lands in play, so... Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> my my favorite way was on turn five, I flipped Jacob Hawken. I had Sisade, Captain Sisade for Zakama, so then I could flip Jacob Hawken by discarding Zakama to it flipping it into the enchantment side, casting Zakama, untapping my five lands. I didn't actually get to cast the Zakama before my opponent conceded because that was not a beatable like set of things. My other favorite thing that I did with, not with that deck, but a different deck where I had a bunch of the same cards was uh, Sarkin Wanderer to Shiv, who puts Shiv and Dragons yeah, into your hand. Dragons in your hand, yeah. Yes, and so then I discarded several of those to Jacob Hawkett and then flipped him and had a little <laughs> Shiv and Dragon factory. Yes. Doesn't Sarkin make them permanently cheaper, too? Yeah, but when you're casting them for yeah, zero. Yeah, it doesn't matter too much. I'm not too familiar with the alchemy cards that I haven't seen someone like blow out someone else with a draft in. Yeah, some of the alchemy cards are... Like they happen to you in the cube and you're like, wait, that that's really there's like a kind of reflector mage thing that like a four mana two three that bounces a non land permanent and then makes it cost one more forever. And it's just like, I mean, it's not like crazy good or anything, but it's very annoying. I know there's an enchantment that like gives your first card cascade for some reason in the like streets of Nukapena one. Yes. Yeah, that that card seems crazy to me. It's not in the cube, I don't believe. At least I haven't seen it at all yet. But that card seems ridiculously good. I saw someone lose to it in the when they were doing alchemy draft, mm-hmm. and that was I just like read that card and I'm like, hold on, <laughs> what? Yes, <laughs> I think I sent that to you at one point. Like, hold you on. did send it to me much later when I already known about the card. Okay, all right. But when Fair I enough. first saw it, I'm like, doesn't Maelstrom Nexus costs like Wooberg? <laughs> yeah. I think we both had then then I think we independently had the exact same response to seeing that card for the first time. I mean that's like the response, right? Yeah. How does this cost what is it 4 mana or whatever? It's only 3, I thought. It's 3 mana. Okay, whatever. Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 250 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor Rappel. With me is a tired Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. Uh, if I just doze off in the middle mm-hmm. of the podcast, you're just going to have to carry on with the assorted animals you have around you, like yeah, that's Snow White. <laughs> that's really tough. I don't think any, I don't think either my cat or my dog are very aware of like magic concepts and certainly don't have much of an understanding of the pioneer metagame. So I don't, I don't really know that they could carry your burden here. Well, my understanding of pioneer is not advanced. I I thought we were doing something else for the show, so I didn't really do any preparing. (laughs) Well, yeah, but this is our backup plan. So I've been watching some streams. I've been reviewing some deck lists. I haven't been playing as much as I should, uh, but I do have two, rcqs coming up this weekend so i am trying to do the work now doing the two and a half hour trek sleeping and going up <laughs> or sleeping there and then going the next day yeah i mean i don't think that's like a crazy thing to do they're in like the same place so make one drive out go to two tournaments come home yeah yeah it's fine like i considered doing the sunday one mm-hmm. before 
they became more of a package deal because <laughs> uh, I'm not willing to do both of them. Like I want to play other stuff. The fact that I have Monday off, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the only reason I would go on Sunday at all. Yeah. So, you know, God bless America. Right. Giving us Independence Day off. That's the only thing I care about for this holiday <laughs> and most holidays, but this one particularly. I'm a big fan of Labor Day because it falls on my birthday like every six years or so. Well, Labor Day actually celebrates something I care about. but Yeah, and and it falls on my birthday every six years or so. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting. So we are going to talk about Pioneer. I think probably we should just kind of break down the format as it exists and how things have developed, particularly since the Winota and more importantly, expressive iteration ban to the format. I think Winota was like, you know, one of those decks that like if you wanted to beat it, you could show up and kind of beat it. Sometimes it just like ran over you, but it was rarely the best thing to be doing. Uh, expressive iteration, though, that that changes things. I'm glad they banned Winota because I, yeah, I don't, I don't really agree with what you just said. Like beating Winota was hard, but not for any real reason. Your cards matched up badly against the cards, halves of the yeah, deck. Yeah, the cards yeah. in their for in the format just make it so that there's no efficient or clean answers to anything, and they're not playing efficient or clean decks themselves because Pioneer right. is so lopsided towards <laughs> more recent design choices. So just nothing matches up well against it. And if they have their good draw, they just crush you. <laughs> There's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah, I guess mostly. Yeah, it's just it was so draw dependent that it was rarely like, oh, yeah, I have to be playing Winota now because like you could very easily just lose to your deck. But I honestly I, think that's why it took them so long to ban it because they're yeah. just like, yeah, this deck's kind of a meme deck. Then it's like yeah. oh, it wins just astronomically sometimes. <laughs> so yeah i mean i'm fine with the winota ban but i don't think it like causes like massive upheaval to the format and not that expressive iteration getting banned necessarily does but i think that probably does adjust some numbers to kind of like more appropriate places it just lessens the prevalence of blue red mm -hmm. piles not even by that much though because in wizard's infinite wisdom uh, we've decided to keep Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time not only in the format, but elevated to, like, pillars of the format. Right. And blue blue and red just play those cards better than any other color combination. Yeah, that seems... They've they've stated in the ban announcement that, like, ooh, we have a constructed format where we can play the Delve spells. We're going to, like, keep letting you do that on purpose, which is a little weird. But I guess sort of the first thing to talk about is the effect of the expressive iteration ban on the decks that were playing expressive iteration so there were a level of like blue red mid-rangey or control decks uh often playing like narset combo with either the usually the red wheel a collective defiance those i don't think are really capable of existing in the absence of expressive iteration it was just too important to their one-for-one -one game in a deck that was like able to have a strong late game against like non-board based decks uh not having expressive iteration i think like leaves you at the mercy of drawing the wrong cards too much and so i think those decks have all but disappeared from the format yeah they pretty much have they've just been replaced by either demir or azorius based control mm -hmm. decks which are a lot less a lot more resilient to just playing longer games than blue red is 
and more all the blue red decks have shifted more into ledger shredder and and they're usually also playing arclight phoenix yeah like almost entirely yeah i think it makes sense to be playing arclight phoenix for various reasons uh a big a large one of those reasons is that rakdos midrange has become probably the most popular deck in the format maybe the second most popular deck but you want to have a resilient recurrent threat against the like Thoughtseize fatal push deck in the format yeah i mean if i were playing any pioneer event and i knew i was going to play against Rakdos a lot i would not never want to play phoenix uh because that matchup is pretty bad for phoenix in my experience right but it's even worse if you don't have phoenixes in your deck yeah yeah for the way that the blue red decks are constructed now you do see a fair bit of disagreement in these deck lists on the threat suite right now some of them are just thing in the ice and arclight phoenix some of them are just ledger shredder and arclight phoenix some of them are ledger shredder thing in the ice and arclight phoenix <laughs> and i don't know if some of that is maybe an artifact of the ledger shredder availability thing but i think that on moto they're around they're just a little more expensive than you might hope but i think that it's a choice that people are making to not play ledger shredder in their phoenix decks i think it's more of an artifact of like thing in the ice has been legal longer and people are playing old deck like inertia deck building inertia type of deal because i do think ledger shredder is it basically gives you what Thing in the Ice gives you plus expressive iteration, like mm-hmm. that you lost. So you keep getting like a longer game engine and you can filter your draws a little better. Uh, it doesn't give you like the kill potential that Thing in the Ice does, but Thing in the Ice is so slow in this format. You're not like metamorphosing like you are in modern. It's really deceptive to think that Thing in the Ice is like a really strong threat unless it comes into play exactly on turn two and you have those several cantrips lined up. Yes. I think the main reason that Thing in the Ice is seeing a lot of play is because of the mono green matchup, though. Yes. And Ledger Shredder not doing the work that you want to do in that matchup specifically, but Thing in the Ice putting all their creatures back in their hand because they are a very creature-based deck. I think that is a big matchup adjustment sort of choice. And that's also something you can do with your sideboard, too, right? Because Thing in the Ice is pretty much only punching up against the monogreen deck mm-hmm. and ledger shredder's got a more flat smoothing curve sure i also yeah. want to put in a good word for for crackling drake there's there's usually like a one or two in these lists and that card just impresses every time i see it like it pretty much has to get lightning axed in this format to yeah. die, and it ignores all the graveyard trespassers and stuff like that yeah i mean at minimum it's like the most important sideboard card in the deck but yeah. the like one of main deck is is often totally fine. This is a an adjustment that got made a while ago, but this is a pieces of the puzzle deck. It is a, a little, you know, the the second place list from this last pioneer challenge is like kind of weird for multiple reasons. One of those reasons being you no know, ledger shredder. Another of those reasons being three pieces of the puzzle instead of four. I think that's the card that ties the whole thing together. Allows you to run five delve spells and just have the level of consistency that you need i think that the main thing convincing me that like people are wrong about not playing ledger shredder is that in all of the non-ledger shredder lists they have like two copies of is it charm which is (laughs) just not a good card and i don't know why you would run that instead of ledger shredder as you know because 
Pioneer, your discard outlets are quite bad. You don't have Faithless Looting. You don't have just like an easy way to get cards from your hand into your graveyard because you can't really afford to run Chart of Course given the cantrips that you have to run to enable your Delve spells. So, you know, you're you're looking for discard outlets where you can get them. And when your choice is, is it Charm where it could be Ledger Shredder, that feels really weird and off to me. Yeah, it's... I, I don't, I've never really gotten is it Charm in the last, you know, six years or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ever since cards have, like, way overclassed it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just not that excited to, like, two mana spell pierce anybody like if you're trying to get around getting fatal pushed and stuff like you're already sad because you're running thing in the ice there's no like getting around the fact that that is a possibility of happening to you so i think some number of ledger shredders just like has to be correct are you are we starting with phoenix is that's what you're considering playing this weekend it's what i'm like almost certainly gonna play just because i have most of the cards sitting here although i did lend my pieces of the puzzle to someone and i don't know who that is and now i don't have pieces of the puzzle somehow which is less of an economic concern and more of a like large inconvenience i mean i have pieces of the puzzle if you yeah i know i'm sure i can get them but it's annoying because i should be able to just pull them out of a box i also have a lot of poor of the pages uh, that's not for not a card that i will need <laughs> I don't like Is It Phoenix very much in the format. I think it's a solid deck, mm-hmm. a good deck. It's just I'm scared of the Rakdos mid-range decks in, mm-hmm. in that sphere, and I think that deck is going to be very popular. I mean, that that's reasonable. I've played against it some... I mean, I, I've only played a couple of leagues, but I don't like hate that matchup. I don't know. Maybe we have different experiences. Yeah, possible. And I, the last time I played it was also you know like month ago or so so it's possible lists have gotten more inbred and not as targeted towards phoenix where phoenix was very popular at the time Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt also that there's a lot more red black sacrifice decks starting this weekend which Mm -hmm. did they did pretty well in both of the challenges there was two in the top eight of one of the challenges and four in the top eight of the other sure the sacrifice builds had just fallen off a cliff before that before this weekend yeah i don't know exactly like what the you know impetus for choosing a sacrifice deck or not choosing it right now would be i mean we probably should talk about the rakdos midrange deck just like because it is a relatively new creation in the format new presence in the format just like the red black decks in basically every format in magic it is fable of the mirror breaker that is allowing this deck to exist Yeah, Fable of Mirror Breaker and Blood Tide Harvester, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that card that, is that's pretty, pretty under the radar, but it does a lot of work for the deck, and just being a large two-drop that makes a blood gives you a little bit of hand filtering and enables Fatal Push. Like, yeah. that does a lot of heavy lifting in the early turns of the game. It's just, like, a good split card that, like, does a bunch of things, and you get to choose whether it is a, like, medium removal spell or a fine threat on turn two, and even if they kill it, it leaves a little something behind, and that's that's a lot for two mana, so Karta's, like, massively overperformed. It's it's very good. Yeah, I, I'm actually a little surprised that more of the mid-range decks don't play Voltaic Surge to take a little more advantage of, like, the random artifacts you get mm-hmm. from Fable of Mirror Breaker or Blood Tide Harvester, but I guess it's like not, neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I think the fatal push is generally better in these decks because of the specific threats that it can take out. 
Like, there are some larger things, but certainly against, like, spirits and stuff, you'd rather have Fatal Push. And then, the, you know, they overlap in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I just see a strangle in these lists a lot of the time, and I yeah, don't I like could, that card at all. I could certainly see Voltaic Surge being just better than Strangle. Sorcery is not an ideal spot to be for your one-mana removal spell. And and most of my knowledge from the mid-range deck is from watching it play or playing against it. I have not played this deck. This is not the kind of deck I would play or do well at playing, mm-hmm. to be honest. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the return of Kalitas, which is actually a fantastic card in this deck, and we have not seen Kalitas in a while in Magic the Gathering. Yeah, I like Cletus a lot. He's really good in this deck. He Back when I was playing more Pioneer, he was the star of the show for this kind of deck. <laughs> Mm -hmm. He's just like showed up and the game was over. This is like how it happened. Like you're just trading one for one with your medium cards. Sometimes you got some bone crusher giants in play or some flipped uh, graveyard trespassers and you actually had like reasonable threats. But when Kalidas hit play, the game was over. (laughs) Like if your opponent had any reasonable board. It's it's not that different now. I think that it just like is the thing that you're headed towards in a lot of these games is trying to set up a spot for Kalidus and it gives you an army. Like you have so much cheap removal, uh, including Bloodside Harvester being a zero mana removal spell. So if you Kalidus kill their thing on turn four, get a zombie, like you're really coming out ahead on that deal, uh, no matter what they do from there. And, you know, Kalidus is pretty hard to kill as a four mana creature with at least four toughness, uh, you know, takes like a lightning axe, and if you manage to get it up to six toughness, then even lightning axe doesn't kill it. So one of the neat things you can do to uh, with Cletus is you can sacrifice vampires to him, not just mm-hmm. zombies. Yeah. And Blood Tithe Harvester is a vampire. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I don't know that I had ever even... I don't know that I've ever sacrificed a vampire to Cletus. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but I have seen it come up multiple times. So I thought it is worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I'll I'll keep that in mind. Uh, Soren the Mirthless also makes vampire tokens. True, yeah. If you're playing Soren, you can sacrifice vampire. You're probably only playing like one Soren though. I think Chandra usually takes the yeah the forefront. A reasonable number of like two one splits or something there. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Chandra Torch of Defiance, by the way. That's that's the good Chandra. The right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I know it's like the Rakdos deck has been getting a lot of shit on Twitter and stuff. I, I don't like it's just not as clunky as people are like pretending that it is. It looks so much clunkier than it actually is. Yeah. But once you like get a blood token with their blood tile harvester, you start discarding cards to Fable of the Mirror And these are two and three drops. Yeah. It, it, your deck just like works a lot more of the time than you would think. And and I mean, like one of the jokes was like the deck, every card in the deck costs three mana. But one of those cards is Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which either like refunds you mana or you get into this game where your opponent is trading the resources for like a third of your card either which is fine like if they start trading resources then you don't care as much about mana efficiency in that way the other three is graveyard trespasser the other three is bone crusher giant which is a two mana removal spell with a three attached to it it's so i don't know like this deck is totally fine it is completely acceptable and often like plays out closer to not not like a shadow deck but like you have a bunch of this really efficient one for one removal and interaction that just does good work it's an incredibly strong mid-range deck like if you were to play a standard format this would be the boogeyman of that standard format yeah yeah and and 
you know, often that's not exactly what you want to be doing in Pioneer is like a really good standard deck, but this is like a really, really good standard deck. I, I think Pioneer has been watered down by bands so mm-hmm. much so that having a really good standard deck is actually pretty good. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and this deck doing well is just like clear evidence of that. Of, of that's, the, that's the state that Pioneer is at is like it's no longer a small modern, it's a big standard. Yeah, a very big standard. <laughs> Mostly due to the like the card pool that's been allowed to stay, right? All the mm-hmm. offenders that made Pioneer broken or standard broken, like Uro, Wilderness Acclamation, Teferi. All, the, all that stuff is just gone. It's not in the format. Breach, Helia Combo, Inverter. Nexus of Fate. Yeah. Nexus of Fate, yeah. Like, Kethis, right. even. Which, yeah, probably a safe unban. <laughs> Yeah, with all the other cards in the fan list, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's still there. Like, it was a boogeyman at one point, so it's yeah. gone forever. Was it, or was it just, like, caught up in this one of a one of the early week sweeps was, of Pioneer? It was Watsy's boogeyman. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really answer that one. <laughs> I, I do think that the, the Rocktus midrange deck, though, is, if not the best deck in Pioneer, and I, I say best deck pretty loosely. I think there's a lot of interchangeable decks. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely one of the most consistently well-performing decks. Yep. And it's certainly, while it doesn't look overtly powerful, it plays at pretty much every stage of the game with reasonably good cards. So it passes that bar. A lot of Pioneer decks do not do that. Yeah. And we are at a point where, like, the combo decks kind of don't really exist anymore in Pioneer. And so being a deck that your only interaction against the combo decks is your four thought seizes is way less scary than it was at various points in Pioneer's history. Yeah, in the top 32 of both of these challenges, I just scrolled through them really quickly, there are, wow, there's three Lotus Field decks? That's so many. And of course, they're all in like 26th place. Yeah. 26th and below. And there are one Jeskai Ascendancy deck. And... It's not for a color ascendancy like the Sylvan Awakening Jeskai Ascendancy deck you may have. Was it an Emery Ascendancy deck? It is Emery and Sahili with Ledger Shredder and the Reality Chip. Well, and that deck is not good against Black Red. Yeah, but it's it's not what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> it did not do well either. Yeah. So I, I think Rakdos is a perfectly fine choice. Uh the other like really big deck in the format, I would and big in multiple senses of the word, but mono green ramp just has existed for the entirety of pioneer pretty much and is still very good and very heavily played yeah for some reason watsy thought it got too many bands and unbanned oath of nissa to help it out which was <laughs> wild but here we are <laughs> yep uh it is now complete with a win the game this turn combo some nonsense involving getting your Pestilent Cauldron slash Restorative Burst and recasting Planeswalkers a bunch of times and making an enormous uh, amount of mana and killing. I can I can simplify it. Like yes. the, the Monogreen deck is just... I'm not even going to go like that deep into the combo. It's just the Monogreen deck is this like ramp mid-range deck where your mid-range is like a five, six creatures all over the place mm-hmm. <laughs> while that ramp you. And then when you hit 14 Devotion... You win. You can... And you have a card and you just win. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really good spot to be. It is the that package of Storm the Festival, Cavalier of Thorns, uh, Mana Creatures, Nykthos. And I think that it, it can be 
you know, it has some vulnerabilities. It is an Elvish Mystic Llanowar Elves deck, so there's removal on several axes that are good against it. But even if you take out its mana guys, you know, you start casting removal spells, they start casting like old growth trolls and just and then planeswalkers. You have to kill them back before they start casting storm the festivals into cavaliers of thorns and so you you have a couple of jobs in this matchup when you're playing against this deck this is basically one of the it's the best storm the festival deck you've ever seen yeah uh, because if you take turns killing like their their elvish mystics and their lenore elves assuming they just don't have like a wolf willow haven to kind of dodge that <laughs> like mm-hmm. dodge the second removal spell or whatever uh, and you just kind of play your mid-range game. They'll land an old growth troll, which is a huge creature that's going to dwarf pretty much your four drops. Let's say you just trade off all your stuff, and then they play Storm the Festival. That's backbreaking. You, they get to look at the top five cards and put two things into play. And if either of those things is a Planeswalker or a Cavalier of Thorns, you're just so far behind. Yeah. Especially since Cavalier just fuels more Storm the Festivals two ways by filling up your graveyard to dump other storm festivals into and get you a land yeah and depending on how you've set up and how much mana you had and how much devotion you have like you can do a true like storm turn where you cast storm the festival several times in one turn and just then maybe even hit your 14 mana and go off from there so the fact that the mid-range ramp deck also just got a combo finish i think is also a a bad spot for the combo decks to be in because sometimes like you can't even just be like, okay, yeah, I'm dead next turn to their attack, but I get one more shot to combo out. It's like, okay, I, I just died to this. I, I do want to highlight one weird interaction that's important to the combo finish now. That wasn't true like last time we looked at this deck. Uh, people are playing the Chain Veil now, which if you don't know what that does, it's a four mana artifact that has a four mana activation. Uh, it's a tap activation. So for the rest of the turn, for each Planeswalker you control, you can activate its loyalty abilities once more that turn. Mm-hmm. So it lets you use your planeswalkers twice. The, although the card is worded like it only works on planeswalkers you control while you activate it, it just applies to every single planeswalker you control throughout the turn, no matter when they enter play. That's truly bizarre. Yes, that is it's not very, what the the text of that card sounds like. It does. It's very odd, but that is how the card works. Okay. <laughs> so with a a Kiora, a Karn, and like enough mana, you you can just like streamline the combo even further to make Kiora way more mana efficient uh, where you don't need as much devotion. Can you, I, I thought that the chain veil was mostly an artifact of trying to make the combo faster on magic online because it's, it takes so long to do on magic online otherwise. But I, I, I feel I, my understanding was you don't need it in paper, but I, I, I don't think totally you need wrong. it period. Yeah. But it, it, if people are playing it and see it in lists, mm-hmm. Uh, that is an interaction that does come up and is important. Sure. Because if you read the card, you would just never think that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this deck is good. I saw a thread on Twitter about like interacting with it and stuff. And I think some of that bears repeating. And this has been true the whole time that this, that Nick, those decks have been legal in pioneer or have been played in pioneer is that Alpine mooning. The Nick, those deck is a, just doesn't work. Don't do that. It isn't a good idea. You will lose to Lanoir Elves into like 
just their creatures and stuff and because you spent a whole card doing nothing against their mid-range ramp deck strategy like ramp decks have vulnerabilities and clunkiness and you want to exploit them on those axes you want to kill their mana creatures you want to ether gust their five mana spells you don't want to cast a spell that turns one of their lands into just still a good land that that's not good enough yeah it doesn't doesn't really do it (laughs) no now if you're playing against lotus field then sure whatever alpine moon that's fine but could also backfire yeah rarely like (laughs) lotus field is really i would recommend i love that deck right and i would recommend no one play it it's just not very good i like you have one good matchup in the entire format and that's rakdos (laughs) (laughs) i i do think the mono greens like difficulty to interact with is one of its main strengths in the format difficulty to interact with once you the game gets to a certain point you have to yeah. clock and kill the kill the mana guys and clock them and then your interaction counts killing mm-hmm. the mana guys and letting them just like make land drops and cast spells means you didn't do anything right so you you really have to be on your game when you're playing against this deck you can't just let them have the time that they right. need because there's just one storm of the vessel over a card and it's it, the dominoes start you know yeah doing what dominoes do i don't know i lost that metaphor <laughs> start falling yeah start falling there we go i oh, look i'm tired a deck that has started seeing a a lot of play recently is a couple different incarnations of the spirits decks there's the mono blue spirit deck that's like a curious obsession geist snare deck and then there is also the more traditional like bant collected company deck that's just like infinite lords and just trying to kill you with large flyers very quickly and the only disruption in the deck is spell queller but ultimately like you're playing against them and similar cards are good your cheap removal spells are what you want you don't want them to get an overwhelming board you don't want them in the case of mono blue spirits to start hitting you with curious obsession and i god i put together this stupid blue deck in explorer (laughs) <laughs> based like mostly uh on a kowalski tweet saying like this deck is tier one and then i played an explorer and just like had the most miserable time i've ever had playing magic the gathering which makes me doubt that the mono blue spirits deck in pioneer is really where you want to be i see that it won the challenge this weekend but i i just it's so hard for me to imagine like loading this deck up into fatal push thoughtsies and being happy with your choice uh, I it did not win a challenge this weekend. Bant Spirits did win a challenge. Uh, this one. Oh, maybe this is. Maybe looking. Oh, this previous. is this is from a week ago. Yeah. But I I agree with your conclusion. I I think the Mono Blue Spirits deck is. I, I compared it to Belcher recently. <laughs> and I I like that I like that analogy because it's you're just like really good at doing one specific thing and you have to draw your cards in a very specific order (laughs) and your deck just like feels really hard to beat but if you get disrupted in any like minor way or you don't draw your cards very well your deck doesn't do anything yeah you you trip on your shoelace and then your nose bone gets shoved into your brain when you're playing a deck like this like yeah everything has to go perfectly or it's just a disaster which which is like fine like if you want to spike a tournament and you just like the play style experience you can just like play mono blue and go to town that i think it's a reasonable choice as long as that's what you're aware you're getting into mm-hmm. but i don't think it's comparable to uh like the mono blue deck that 
was playable in standard where you like got into frilled mystic and stuff like that I, I, it's not really comparable to that deck at all yeah uh no like i ambusher and such the the yeah go ahead yeah i'm just not a fan of of this deck in any way shape or form the bant collected company spirits deck that's just infinite lords i like i'm fine with that that's that's a whatever if you just want to play merfolk then that's your deck flying yeah. merfolk i mean to me the bant spirits deck and the bant it's not even bant it's more like four color humans with mm-hmm. a collected company because uh, they play general kudra i guess which is technically a black card <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one ever casts it but <laughs> It, those decks are just the same in this format kind of like they were in modern you know they're just the creature decks with collected company that have a lot of lords in them spirits mm-hmm. like it was in modern is primarily lord based and humans is a lot more i've got thalia and general kudro in my and reflector range in my deck right like these random humans that can spike a turn and do something mm-hmm. whereas like the most disruption you get out of spirits is mausoleum wanderer and skyclave apparition or spellqueller yeah yeah, I did see, I did watch uh, Doomwake for a little bit trying to play Jeskai Ascendancy and then his opponent just like had two Mausoleum Wanderers in play and then he could never resolve Sylvan Awakening and it just looked like the most miserable time in the world. Spirits is very good against combo decks. Another yes. knock against them, uh, especially the Band Spirits deck because the, the clock is so fast. Like the mono blue deck is also terrible if you're playing a combo deck because you don't do anything to interact with them and they can do whatever. Like they're under no pressure uh, and they have a million counter spells. <laughs> yes. So that's no, not you fun can't, either. You really can't beat the mono blue spirits deck with the combo. Like they don't even need that much to go right in that particular yeah. type of matchup. But I actually think the pant one is even harder because mm-hmm. they just attack so much faster. Like you're under yeah. so much pressure. You can never beat a spell queller. Right, because that's just like a massive time walk, and then the spell queller also has four power and is hexproof or whatever. So it's like a time walk, but the time walk also kills you. <laughs> yeah, which is a really good card. So I, I I like the company decks. I think they're reasonable. Uh, they're they do have the weakness of being all creatures, no like utility kind of things. Right. Uh, you don't really have the flexibility that you do in modern, where you can play like a middling mage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So your your decks are just mostly a pile of creatures yeah i mean you really are playing merfolk with the like it it really is just like put as many of my creatures into play as fast as possible and kill you really quickly spell queller one thing and hope that that's enough you can't supreme verdict them when they've got spell queller up so that's really strong selfless spirit (laughs) yeah yeah supreme verdict does not work very well against the spirit deck which is an important thing because blue white control is a a pretty reasonably played deck in this format yeah it got third in one of the challenges this weekend Mm -hmm. and i think the wandering emperor is one of the strongest planeswalkers that watsi's printed Mm -hmm. in a long time if not ever yep and does help does make the spirits match up less atrocious for a deck like this like it legitimately is a fine like a, a good inclusion against that deck so well it's good inclusion against everything why don't you preserve oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good against everything but particularly against spirits you force them to do something on their turn when you wandering emperor and then that hopefully gives you a window to do something really destructive to them on your turn that pulls you back into the game you also get to play free spells like uh march of the worldly light yeah you usually play four of those and then since you're interacting in that those ways uh that often gives you an opening to like do a shark typhoon to make a shark and 
that's really important because they have a hard time stopping that from just like coming in and blocking something. Uh, the blue, the mono blue deck in particular, very bad against here is a shark typhoon token. The at least the Bant deck, if they've started doing things, can outsize it. Yeah, I I, I think blue white control and by some minor extension blue black control are mm-hmm. both good options. Uh, the blue white control deck uh, below zero got third in the Pioneer Challenges past weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he chose to play zero Delve spells, which is actually pretty common in the blue-white shells. They're usually just Yorion shells that play a bunch of Planeswalkers and one-for-one removal with yeah. uh, Memory Deluge to refuel. And especially because your one-for-one removal is like... Like your one-mana removal is Portable Hole, which doesn't go to the graveyard even. So it's very difficult to do much uh, dig through timing in a deck like this. Yeah, so you're you're just not interested in and and memory deluge is actually really good. It's your dig through time mm-hmm. <laughs> in this deck where you can you know play it instead of a wandering emperor or after a wandering emperor to get your cards back and then play it later on in the game. Yep. The you also do that in blue black, but since blue black plays more cards that go to the graveyard, fatal push is your removal. Plus, you can play uh, hand disruption and cards like sinister sabotage, which have surveil. Yeah, yes. surreal. <laughs> you actually get to play some dig through times in your deck. Yeah, I am not sold on the cancels in either of these decks. Absorb and uh, <laughs> sabotage just don't feel like they're up to the pace of this format. But you know, so they're not the turn three cancel that you would see in standard because you're usually playing from behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're you know on the play like a lucky person but <laughs> you, you just like play your your one for one stuff and maybe land a planeswalker and then once you have a planeswalker in play the cancels are really good yeah and there's nothing better there's no two mana counter spells in pioneer they're all garbage so uh, they don't look good but they are actually fine they're just not i'm gonna leave open a counter spell on turn three kind of deal yeah like I get it, and I know that you need some number of counter, some amount of counter magic, especially given the existence of mono green. You need some amount of hard counters available to you, and I'm sure they're obviously going to be good at the mirrors and stuff. Like I get it, but that is a point of like that is a hole in these decks that is like yeah, man, there are some like straight up five out of ten cards in these deck lists. Uh, yeah, the, I, that's why I consider the white blue mm-hmm. way better than blue black. Uh, you just play fewer bad cards. Like you don't have to play <clears throat> uh, sensor or hieroglyphic illumination in blue white because your mm-hmm. planeswalker is just so powerful. You have to fairy yeah. and the wandering emperor. Whereas blue black, you don't have either of those cards. You just like have uh, whole breaker horror, torrential gear hulk, and shark typhoon as your like threats, and nothing to give you like incremental advantage or return. Sure, I could still be convinced on some number of sensors or jewelry disruptions, but. Yeah, I mean, the blue-white deck plays for disruption. That's a land. Yeah. That's just straight-up gas. Yeah, love lands. Sensor, I'm not huge on. <laughs> That's fair. I think sensor makes a lot more sense when you have delve spells in your deck. Right. Uh, as far as aggro decks go, I don't think they're good. Ooh, I disagree. Okay. I, I think heroic, like specifically Boros heroic, mm-hmm. is really good. Okay. Like... Illuminator Virtuoso from Streets of New Capenna. It is, is very good. Busted. That's absolutely <laughs> Especially true. with, uh, what's the flashback card? 
that gives vigilance and plus one counter homestead courage yeah homestead courage that card with illuminated virtuoso is just game over yes correct. <laughs> if you've ever had to face that that down you're done you're it's over <laughs> uh there's also ancestral anger which is the like kendall but gives plus one plus oh mm-hmm. uh with dreadhor arcanist like when this deck gets going you sure. don't lose especially since you get to play reckless rage which is one of the best removal spells in fighting here okay I, I so I agree mostly that aggro decks are not good, but the heroic deck I really enjoy. Okay, that's fair. I yeah, I mean I was thinking about like mono red. I don't think I could be convinced to register mono red in any of these tournaments coming up. Uh, yeah, I I could definitely be convinced that there's a form of this format that heroic is really good. Anytime your opponents not doing some pretty specific types of interacting with you, like this will kill you quicker than anything else. Yeah, it, it kills you quick, and it has. Card good, selection. Good removal, too. It has Reckless And Illuminated Virtuoso. Those are really good card selection tools. Yeah, yeah. And then Reckless Rage deals four damage to any creature, which kills things like Thing in the Ice or kind of just whatever. Kills Ledger Shredder most of the time. <laughs> yeah, usually you do get a window to kill a Ledger Shredder with it. It, you know, a slightly less just do or die now that Winota is not in the format to Reckless Rage. But, you know, that still is a very efficient removal spell. It kills anything out of the collective company decks, no matter. Mm-hmm. It, it will kill something that's relevant, which yeah. is not going to be true for a lot of removal spells that are red. Right. And anytime you get to do that and then also get a trigger on your, uh, you know, even a prowess trigger, but also, you know, a trigger on your illuminator virtuoso, ideally, that that's just so much value for a one mana removal spell. The, the thing I like most about this deck is that it does have awkward draws where you draw too many spells or too many creatures you don't have enough spells but there are tools the creatures have built in to mitigate that uh 10 district legionnaire scries dreadhorde arcanist gets you cast through your cantrip ones god's willing and ancestral anger Mm -hmm. or not god's willing what's it called defiant Defiant strike Strike. uh and illuminary virtuoso connives Mm -hmm. so those three creatures which are the the best creatures in your deck (laughs) uh, all do a lot of work to make your deck a lot more smooth, which I think is makes it a really good aggro deck, in addition to, you know, killing you really fast when everything is really working together. Yeah. Okay, sure, I could be convinced on Heroic. I guess it's really just the Rakdos deck that I'm like, ugh, this is not a thing that I want, that I'm, like, willing to sign up for. But, I, I like, definitely seems like it has a solid game against everything else that I'm looking at in this format, so. And, yeah, I, yeah, I think the only reasonable... If you're an aggro player, that's what you want to do in life in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. I would 100% think you should play uh, Heroic. You don't count it, Bant Spirits as an aggro deck? I mean, not really. It, I didn't really either. I like It's there, the Gilwide Tribal decks, deck. And then there are aggro decks, you know? And those are different things in my mind. Like the Bant Spirits decks, the Humans decks, those are creature decks. Those are fine, right? Right. But you have to, a deck that casts creatures and then cast spells to back up those creatures that's an aggro deck yeah i mean when you're playing defiant strike target creature gets plus one plus seven until that, turn. that's an aggro deck yeah <laughs> you're, you're under no illusions about what your role in the game is <laughs> if you like attacking and you never want to block this is the deck for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well a bunch of your creatures have haste why would you block you can just tap them the turn they come into play what opportunity would they have for blocking hopefully they don't yeah no 
you've got 20 whole life points. Just get rid of your opponents and you have plenty. And it's so easy too if they don't block or if you get a, a really good Illuminator Virtuoso hand because that thing has double strike. It just no does joke. so much damage, yes. Uh, Ancestral Anger, that guy, just give him Trample. Whew. And there's even some of these decks I've seen uh, Invigorated Rampage in them just because getting Trample on that dude is so good. You'll play whatever to give it Trample. Yeah, it also targets two things, Yeah, like, which is... It feels overkill some of the time. Like, if you're drawing that up in your mind, you're like, targeting two things is not that much better than targeting one, right? Right. But then you get into these board states, and there's creatures on both sides, and you're like, oh, Invigorated Rampage just like one of the best trolls I could have here. Right. I mean, sometimes you need to beat an old growth troll and Cavalier of Thorns, and you, like, need to kill them that turn before they kill you. And Invigorated Rampage is the kind of card that'll let you do that. Yeah. It, it's it's very good. I, I like Heroic a lot. I wouldn't play mono red. Mm-hmm. I don't think the deck's garbage or anything, but I do think it's a step behind every other, a, a, a huge step behind heroic. That's fair. Like you're you're pretty much playing the Embercleave lottery in my eyes when you play mono red. You're just like, did I draw Embercleave? Can I Embercleave on turn three? Yeah. I'm not really willing to play that game of Magic the Gathering anymore. I don't <laughs> have to, so I'm not gonna. I mean, it, it'll kill you. Like Embercleave is a good card but it is also not as consistent and your cards are just weaker overall yeah that's right mono red cards are weaker than homestead courage you can quote me on that i mean because mono like casting one red card at a time is weaker than the synergy tech that at some point is casting like four spells in a turn yeah like that's clearly true it it does break my heart that the heroic decks don't play feather anymore uh feather is one of my favorite cards just too slow but it's just so expensive so slow yep instead of grinding it out you just kill them now which you know i guess is better technically but is it more satisfying <laughs> it is less fun <laughs> there, there's very little more satisfying than like god's willing feather and your opponent just like tries to kill feather and then you have the god's willing and you get it back and you're just like i'm just gonna kill you with like three to five damage a turn for the rest of the game and you can't kill this thing the coolest thing you can do now is like late game pump a gigantha that you have no hope of winning (laughs) yeah i i am not confident that the gigantha in the sideboards of these decks is worth anything at all but it it is worth a little bit (laughs) your red white deck with no real backup plan so your sideboard's not going to be that robust i agree my concern would be giving away my choice of deck by presenting gigantha at the beginning but i guess you could be a sacrifice deck too so but like a lot of the cards that are good against the sacrifice deck are good against you too so i don't know uh, i'm just like not convinced but um I, I think there's enough uncertainty in pioneer and people are not playing it enough that a reveal of gigantha doesn't actually i know but i needle for me i care yeah you think i don't know i I would probably assume that my opponent is on a sacrifice deck or on heroic if they showed me Gigantha. But yeah, those are the two decks I would think of, or Jeskai Ascendancy if they were, you know, it was a paper event. Yeah. Because they hadn't played in a while. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, like I would make sure that I have a fatal push in my hand, basically, if I had like that mulliganing option. Sure, which is not that great against sacrifice. Yeah, well, I mean, but you need a removal spell, right? So Yeah. Gotta keep that Obnixilis away. 
Yes, correct. Do you want to talk about the sacrifice deck? Yes, let's talk about Recto Sacrifice now because I kind of cut you off of that. I don't have much experience with this one because, like I said, it fell off a cliff mm-hmm. uh, pretty much after Luris was banned. I hadn't really seen it past that. That was four months ago or something. And then all of a sudden this weekend, it got six of the top two of the two top eights. Yeah. Uh, and they're all pretty similar. They're all Cauldron Familiar, Blood Tithe Harvester, uh, Obnixless decks with mm-hmm. the Cat and Gombo, obviously. Uh, though they do differ kind of wildly in build. Like this one has Unlucky Witness and two Fable of the Mirror Breaker. This one has no Fable of the Mirror Breaker and a makeshift munitions <laughs> and has more deadly disputes. So, but they're all pretty much the same core. You just like try to assemble cat oven stuff mm-hmm. and build around that while also having Obnixless as this like what well, looks to be primary threat that your opponent has to deal with while you're assembling your engine. Yeah, right. It's just a very streamlined version of the like red black engine that we've seen. And given the density, you know, this is a generally four deadly dispute, two village rights deck. Combine those with Unlucky Witness. And the plan is basically like put several ovens into play over the course of the game. Don't die to creatures because you're a cat oven deck. Gain your life and just like drain my opponent out over the course of the game. So, you know, this is a deck that's going to play a relatively long game, but just be ticking your opponent's life total down the entire time. And there's not really another plan there. Like the only cards that do anything besides being like dig through your deck, get your stuff out. The only cards that do anything really are Mayhem Devils, Witches Oven and Cat and kind of Obnixilis, but that's a little bit of a distraction from the whole thing. So yeah, just... Obnixilis is like, please attack it. Look, right. it's doing things. It'll right. hurt you. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, the rest is like, you know, removal spells, dig, and like my the plan is cat oven you to death every game and then put a mayhem devil into play at some point to like double the power of the or triple the power of the cat oven combo or whatever. So maybe you find your one or two Kroxa, like if yes. you're playing two Kroxa. Usually I think these decks usually play one. And I think the Kroxa is like the backup plan of backup plans. Like it is just yeah. not a, a a primary goal of what they're doing. The makeshift munitions are interesting because most of these deck lists do have one. Uh, makeshift munitions, if you're not familiar, is a two-mana Ixalan enchantment that you can pay a generic to sack an artifact or a creature to ping something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just like another sacrifice outlet that stays on the board, kind of like Witch's Oven, but is an enchantment. So you can more reliably use it with your claim the Firstborns yeah. or what have you. I think that's pretty much it, is just to give your opponent a harder time of turning off your claim the firstborns is kind of just i need a fifth thing for this also a neat interaction uh you can sacrifice the blood token generated by voldarian epicure to deadly dispute <laughs> yeah but that's been a you know a kind of mainstay of but of... i like it <laughs> the blood does not actually do that much in this deck you know most of the decks you see voldarian epicure and you're you have an asmore or something so you turning on Asmore with the blood. This deck is just kind of garbage. Well, you can put your Cauldron Familiar in the graveyard. Uh, yeah, value. Yeah, value or a Krosa. But yeah, it's mostly just that like we don't really want any creatures that cost more than one mana except for Mayhem Devil in this deck. Yeah. I like Sacrifice. I w- thought it had vanished because the 
mid-range deck had a positive matchup against it with mm-hmm. although just an incidental graveyard hate and removal but yeah. now that it's done so well i'm not sure if that's the case so i'll be interested to see like how that shakes up in the coming weeks yeah i have not played with or against this deck enough to really know like what its place is or or how to define it or anything but clearly playing a lot of strong cards and just like generally a strategy that keeps being good format after format in cat oven and this is the most focused cat oven deck i think you can possibly construct it just digs to as many copies of oven as you can possibly find and then just tries to put them together with a cat yeah oh can i talk about greasefang decks really quick oh yeah i almost have forgotten about these honestly so there were like three different colors of greasefang decks there's Abzan, which has Zika Chariot. There's Esper, which is kind of more like Turbo Mill with Twisted uh, Indulgence and all that stuff. Tainted Indulgence, excuse me. And then there's Mardu, which has Fable the Mirror Breaker. All three of them are bad. <laughs> That's why <laughs> yeah. I'd kind of forgotten about Grease Fang. Yeah, I like that card. I keep waiting for builds to be streamlined and it to be good in the format. It just isn't. Like, mm-hmm. there's too much generic hate for what you're doing and you're playing too many bad cards it's like the combo problem in this format where Mm -hmm. your cards are too bad you all your strong cards have been banned so you're just (laughs) kind of just playing a worse deck than everyone else yeah and you're really easy to interact with and everybody has two unlicensed horses on their sideboard yes yes they do (laughs) so So that's tough you know it's it's rough for me to admit this but the grease fang dream is not here we should not be playing grease fang right now no you can play it in explorer that's a fine place to play grease fang yeah by all means explore away pioneer though can't recommend it nah we even have Seder wayfinder in this format <laughs> well but it like Seder wayfinder is not really yeah, even not what you want because you're not trying to like keep making land drops it's not that kind of mid-range deck or whatever you're not you're trying to put hogak in your graveyard. graveyard yeah or hogax yeah I think Hogak is the only time Seder Wayfinder has actually been really good. <laughs> no, the Pioneer Sultai deck with Wayfinder and Uro was very good. So, yes, Seder Wayfinder was a good Uro <laughs> enabler. But, but, but Wayfinder wasn't actually a good card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not tapping it to put your Hogak in, into play, where like He's Seder right. Wayfinder was the perfect card for the job in the Hogak deck. I get what you're saying. <laughs> You got a lot more juice out of your Seder Wayfinders in the Hogak deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what else to talk about in Pioneer. That's pretty much all no, of the decks. I think, the I think that's our overview. I honestly am likely to play Phoenix just because I have my tournaments this weekend and I don't have to get any cards really in order to play it. And uh, I'm at that stage of my paper magic career right now where it's like, eh, I know how to play this deck. I know how to sideboard with it and I own the cards and that's like a lot of the way there then but i i definitely can accept that it is not really the correct choice for this weekend would you have if card availability were not a problem to you is there a deck you would rather play i don't know maybe rakdos midrange but i also don't have the deep i haven't i don't have the reps with rakdos midrange or the sacrifice deck and would probably make some mistakes that i wouldn't if i had the reps so because i know you you do need your your reps i i do i don't function particularly well without having a fair amount of playtime. so so i have like kind of three decks i would consider playing if i were to play this weekend mm-hmm. 
Uh, number one for me is actually the Heroic deck. I really like this deck. I think if you're good at that style of deck, you have a lot of play to it. Sure. And you've like good range. Uh, unfortunately, I live in reality where I'm not very good at this style of deck. So I wouldn't <laughs> end up playing it despite like wanting to be good at it. Fair. Uh, but I, I do really like the deck. Number two on my list would be Monogreen. It's just really consistent, really good. Mm-hmm. That's what I would end up playing, so just like have the cards and we'll do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I just had all the cards and the willingness, because I don't, I'm not a reps person. I can just play whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe not perfectly, but I'll, I'll just do it. <laughs> uh, I would play the sacrifice deck because yeah. I don't know why this deck is doing well all of a sudden, and I'm I like the playstyle a lot. I'm pretty good at it, so I would play the sacrifice deck. That's fair. No, I mean it looks good to me like it looks like it's constructed in the way that powerful decks are constructed lots of cheap spells super focused game plan and as long as that game plan is a good one then this deck is a good deck so i i I could certainly get behind that that's and that's kind of the order in which i would feel comfortable with them Mm -hmm. i just i wish i could be a person who's good at heroic i'm just not (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty fair. I think I also am not like particularly great at those decks, so I can't super justify bringing one of them to a tournament. I I don't do a good job of meeting out my threats when I have to like cast spells on my threats to make them good. I I that's just not a part of my magic brain that has been fully developed. Well, tournaments this weekend. You're going to both of them. Yeah, probably going to go to both of them. Kristen's out of town and you know what else am i going to do with my time yeah fair there's a you can even still have monday as a holiday yeah exactly so it's it's kind of a perfect situation all around i kind of backed off of going to the sunday one i was planning on going to the sunday one but then everyone started making this a a dual trip and i've got stuff i want to do on saturday so that's (laughs) just i'm not just gonna drive two and a half hours by myself just to one tournament i'm sure somebody would go with you to one it's too late. I've already given away my cards. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's Pioneer summed up for now. I, I'm going to try to get some more reps over this week and get a better feel for just how things play out. I, another reason that I'm comfortable playing Phoenix, though, is that every single local Pioneer tournament that I've ever played has just been all creature decks and like regardless of what the for- wider format is. And I know this is a little bit different context, but shocking people's creatures has been good in, at every local tournament that i've played in so i'm just gonna assume that it continues to be good and do it some more well the thing about two and a half hour away tournaments is that you get the people who are willing who in care. the middle of nowhere yeah, yeah. Get people who care yep now well, you're not driving like to a metropolitan or anything <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not far from charlotte so it's not like it's out of the way for you know who knows who knows who will play against this weekend well you just prepare for the locals you know who are going to be doing well and you know uh, yeah. they're going to be playing good decks that are not like shockable to victory <laughs> <laughs> that's nonsense everyone is shockable there's all the a lot of the good decks have one toughness and two toughness creatures in them i'm not scared there, there's a difference between shocking <laughs> a creature and shocking like a deck <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. I mean, good luck. I hope you shock everyone to death. <laughs> That'd be great. Time stretch some people to death, too. I got that, too. Yeah. The good old galvanic iteration. 
temporal trespass. That is a powerful effect. This is not bad. Uh, I guess I didn't talk about the way that like that gets de-emphasized a little bit without expressive iteration because now you have to run some number of treasure cruises so you can't run just like all temporal trespass so that's yeah. like a little bit of a bummer but oh well hopefully your ledger shredders will help dig you to it a little bit yeah and fuel your delve along the way you know assuming i can find the ledger shredders i need to play this deck um yeah assuming you can find the ledger shredders you need to play this deck <laughs> good luck to me this weekend yeah, I would, I would really rather you play Legend Shredder than Thick of the Ice. <laughs> Me too. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I, I am... I do think Thing in the Ice is still pretty good, actually, but we'll, we'll see what the right exact mix is. Okay. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Bye. <laughs>